0: What's up, mortals? This is Mortality Minded, where we explore life, death, and whatever's next through culture, science, personal growth, and more. I'm your host, Thomas Gaudio. Today, I'm going to talk about a couple of things for a type of episode I call endpoints, which means it'll be a mix of topics I find interesting that I want to explore. And after I'm done, I'll share my mortality measures with you as usual, so stick around for that. In this episode, I'm taking a look at two areas. First, okay, anti-vaxxers, you might want to cover your ears. I'm speaking to the importance of vaccines, their history, and what I think is a significant unintended consequence of them and other successful public health measures. Second, I'm taking a quick dip into the afterlife, or lack thereof. Dun-dun-dun. So vaccines have been on my mind lately, as they have been for a lot of people. It's been well reported that myriad research and development projects around the world are racing to create coronavirus vaccines to mitigate the deadly COVID-19 pandemic, which has killed nearly 1.1 million people globally, including more than 214,000 people in the U.S. alone as of October 10th. As the director of the National Institutes of Health in the U.S. recently said during a congressional testimony, a safe and effective vaccine will be essential to stopping the spread of infection, reducing rates of morbidity and mortality, and preventing future outbreaks. It is among our best hopes for getting our country back to normal. Obviously, in this case, there are some concerns around the speed with which these vaccines are being developed and pushed into the market. I'm not going to get into that aspect of it right now, but I wanted to acknowledge it. Another vaccine that's top of mind for many people right now is the flu vaccine. Flu season is officially here, which public health officials are more concerned about than usual this year due to the related increase in hospitalizations and other strains on their healthcare system that will likely make fighting COVID-19 more difficult. The flu kills between 12,000 and 61,000 people in the U.S. every year, numbers that undoubtedly would be higher without the vaccine, though many people still don't get one every year. During the 2019-2020 flu season, for example, Only 64% of children and 48% of adults receive the flu vaccine, but rates have been steadily rising in both groups for the last 10 years, so they're heading in the right direction. Unless you're an anti-vaxxer, of course. Then the rates are not only headed in the wrong direction, they've been kidnapped, hooded, and dragged to an underground bunker miles below a remote forest in, mm, let's say, I don't know, Arkansas where public health officials and pharmaceutical executives enslave and mock them relentlessly while drinking centuries-old champagne and snacking on albino beluga sturgeon caviar. Or whatever it is anti-vaxxers think happens to people who get vaccinated. The anti-vaccination movement notwithstanding, most health experts agree that inoculation against deadly infectious diseases have saved countless lives through vaccination more recently, and its precursor, variolation, practiced for centuries beforehand to prevent severe cases of smallpox. Vaccines, in particular, are considered by many as one of the greatest achievements in the history of medicine and science. For example, thanks to the smallpox vaccine, the World Health Organization, or WHO, declared the once-devastating disease eradicated in 1980. That was less than 200 years after the first smallpox vaccination in 1796, which was the first vaccination of any kind on record. Let me say that again. Smallpox was eradicated, as in, it's thought to no longer exist in nature, and therefore smallpox vaccination is no longer recommended pretty incredible considering smallpox was likely around for more than 2,000 years. Its more common form killed about 30% of the people uninfected, and an estimated 300 million people died from it in the 20th century alone. Along the same lines, no cases of polio, which causes paralysis and even death in a small number of those infected, have originated in the U.S. since 1979 due to its vaccine. And there hasn't been a case of polio here from another country since 1993. Some more interesting numbers. A 2014 evaluation published in the journal Pediatrics estimated that routine child vaccinations against 13 diseases, including diphtheria, hepatitis B, and measles, among the roughly 4.2 million births in the U.S. in 2009, prevented around 20 million cases of disease and 42,000 early deaths. Globally, the WHO estimates that immunization prevents between 2 and 3 million deaths every year. That's not to say vaccines are perfect, though. They can cause side effects, including allergic reactions, that are usually minor and rarely severe or fatal. But to me, it's clear that the benefits far outweigh the costs, and the vaccines have been highly effective in helping to prevent disease and death in their relatively short history. To put a finer point on it, along with other public health measures, including improved access to clean water, adequate sanitation, and proper hygiene education, vaccination programs have significantly curtailed infectious diseases to reduce infant, child, and other deaths, and thereby increase average life expectancy in many places around the world during the last 200 years or so. It's obviously a good thing. But in addition to other societal changes during the same period, I think it's contributed to the unintended consequence of making us less familiar with the end of life, something I spoke to back in episode two titled, What is Mortality-Minded? For many people, especially in the U.S. and other Western countries at the forefront of these changes, that decrease in familiarity has led to greater discomfort with and Anxiety about mortality and its corollaries. Dying, death, grief, and the possibility of an afterlife. With that increase in discomfort and anxiety around the subject comes a reluctance or even refusal sometimes to learn and talk about it, which is where we are right now generally in society. Though these attitudes have been slowly changing in the last few decades, as I mentioned back in that What is Mortality Minded episode. Understanding the history of vaccines and other long term widespread changes and their effects on the present day can help us to better understand ourselves and the societies in which we live, and to appreciate these important ideas and mechanisms, especially since I think many of us take them for granted most of the time, myself included, because they're largely invisible as they operate in the background of our day to day lives. Now, don't get me wrong. I think our general discomfort with and anxiety about death is a relatively small price to pay for millions of people not dying of painful and debilitating diseases every year, along with the benefits of other changes that have largely removed dying and death from our everyday lives. But I am clearly a fan of having a stronger connection with the end of life and all its implications, since I think there are many benefits to doing so, including, and perhaps most importantly that embracing our mortality can help us to lead fuller and more meaningful lives. Pulling back the curtain on things like public health measures that may be unintentionally affecting our mortality awareness is one way of strengthening that connection. At least, I think it is. I don't know for sure. Uh, um, That's why I'm doing this research and learning and having this conversation with you right now because I think it's interesting and important, and I think there is a correlation there, but is it scientifically proven? No, not as far as I know. So if you agree with me, let me know. If you think I'm full of shit, let me know. Let's talk about it. Okay, now on to the possibility of an afterlife. I want to start by revisiting something discussed in the last episode during my interview with artist Jack Ruiz. Jack's view is that if God does exist, it and I'm using the pronoun it intentionally because I don't know if there is a God, what gender it would be. It doesn't make sense that it would even have a gender. And if it had gender or genders, it probably would have all the genders, right? So I think it makes the most sense. So Jack's view is that it is essentially the total. If it exists, it is essentially the totality of the universe. The universe is God. God is the universe. And since we're a part of the universe, we're a part of God. We all make up God. Whatever God is, we're a part of it. Everything is God. God is everything. If God exists, or this greater supernatural force being, existence, entity, whatever it is, Um, later in the conversation, we also talked about the possibility that if we do exist in some form after we die maybe we then gain the ability to move freely through space, as in other solar systems and galaxies. That last part was in response to something I said about why, if there is something after death, you know, whatever remains of us doesn't reach back and communicate clearly with us, with everyone all the time, or at least sometimes. I think it would be pretty inconsiderate and selfish of our possibly incorporeal ancestors to not come back and let us know they actually do exist. And there is something waiting for us after we die. If you ask me, I mean, that's just that's just wrong. <laughs> I know some people think they do exist and communicate with us. And I'm not saying it definitely doesn't happen, objectively speaking. I'm just saying I personally don't believe it does. And relatedly on that point, if it does happen, okay, let's say it does happen, and these people are telling the truth, why the hell is it so mysterious and selective? Why wouldn't everyone just know this immediately upon birth that it's obvious that there is this clear reality after death and that there is a you know, free-flowing communication like we, between that world and this world, that reality and this reality? Why not just be open about it and let everyone in on the fun, right? So I, I, I don't understand the selectiveness of it if, there, if it is a reality, right? So there's, I think there's just a, a flaw in the logic there. Of it. So anyway, Jack said maybe our whatever entities, our essences, souls, consciousnesses, consciousnesses, consciousnesses are too busy exploring the universe to care about communicating with a bunch of mostly hairless apes. He didn't say mostly hairless apes. That's me editorializing. But I thought he had a good argument. And I added that maybe they're also traveling back and forth in time. the degree that time exists as it does for us to these potential non-biological entities. I know if I still exist somehow after I die and could freely travel through space-time, yeah, I for damn sure would not stick around Earth. Not for too long anyway. Maybe I'd spend a few days perusing around the bottom of an ocean, the top of a mountain, inside a volcano, or down in Earth's core to see if it has a gooey chocolate center. Or maybe I travel back to the time of dinosaurs to get a front row seat of a pack of velociraptors ripping other dinosaurs to shreds, assuming Jurassic Park wasn't lying to us. And maybe I travel forward in time to when our sun explodes and obliterates Earth and everything else in our solar system. Fun times! But then I definitely skedaddle and explore the universe, or universes, if string theory is correct. I take my time hopping from planet to planet and star to star. But eventually, I'd have to go check out some black holes, because I am enamored with them, if that's not too strong a word to use for whatever it is that black holes are. They are astounding to me that these exist, and how they warp gravity and spacetime and the light and just absorb everything in its path. And we don't know what happens inside them, or if they are actually somehow the creation of new universes themselves. I mean, I read about a hypothesis. these are all just ideas because this is un- all this stuff is unprovable at, at this point, you know that that black holes might be, Actually, universes themselves, or might be the gateways to new other universes if there are multiple universes, as string theory implies. So, for example, we, this universe that we're in, could actually be inside a black hole. Yeah. So, clearly, if I could travel through space time freely, if that was a possibility, I would be off exploring for, I guess, eternity because time doesn't exist get into all these philosophical questions and practical questions about, you know, how how all this stuff would actually work, but that's kind of the fun of it for me. But I also brought up the possibility that nothing exists after death. Um, If I had to characterize my beliefs, I would say that I am an agnostic. Uh, I believe that we really don't know and can't know the truth and that there's a possibility that there's something and there's a possibility there's nothing. I'm probably more of an atheist-leaning agnostic since I started out Catholic, went over to atheism, and then kind of settled in the middle To, for lack of a better term. Not really the middle, but... Well, the middle in terms of believing something definitively exists or definitively does not exist. Um, I think that the certainty is what I have an issue with. I'm not sure how you can be certain about either perspective. I don't know how people, I mean, I could see how people get, get to that conclusion, but it just seems like uh, in the absence of, of good information, people want crave certainty, right? So they choose. they, they feel compelled to choose something, but to me, there's just not enough information to make a rational decision about it. So People of faith, and you could say there's all different faiths, right? There's, if you kind of wanted to group Judaism, Christianity, and Islam together because they're all monotheistic religions, they're actually all Abrahamic. They originated with this character of Abraham who declared his allegiance to one God during a time of widespread polytheism. They have prophets and other people and core tenets in common. Uh, there's a lot of similarities, there's a lot of overlap there. Obviously, there are differences, but there's a lot of overlap. So if you look at those religions as sort of in one group. And then you look at maybe like Hinduism as another group uh, who are believers in reincarnation and multiple gods and then Buddhism, which isn't really quite a religion. It's more of a philosophy or way of looking at life, but there is this element of reincarnation in there. And then you have all these different subgroups within the larger groups, right? You have Christianity. That's the one I'm most familiar with. You have the big the, the big groupings are Catholics and Protestants, and then within Protestants there are multiple groups, and then within the Jewish faith there's you know Reformist Jews, there's Orthodox, and there are other and there are a few others as well, different groupings, and then within you know Islam there's is, uh, Shiites and Sunnis, and other, I think there's at least one or two more maybe subgroups there, and I'm less familiar with Hinduism, Buddhism and other spiritual or philosophical groups that have a perspective on an afterlife. But I, I guess I would be surprised if they didn't have denominations or subgroups within them. Anyway, the point is, there's a lot of different groups, a lot of different perspectives. And clearly, there's no scientific evidence, right, supporting any of their views of a god or gods or an eternal essence or an afterlife, now, if there is something, my, my perspective is if there is something, what are the odds? Okay, here's my, here's my logic. What are the odds that one group is right and has the answer, the truth about life and reality versus all of them being wrong? I think the odds are much higher for the latter, that, that all these groups don't have the answer. And okay, let's stick with the fact that, or let's stick with the idea that there is something I think whatever that something is, these different groups over time, you know, throughout history, have gotten glimpses. Like maybe we've gotten glimpses of what that thing is and then it's kind of filtered through different perspectives, different cultures, different people, and it's interpreted differently. So that what we're getting is just like a little crack in the door, a little glimpse of light. And then that tiny little sliver of light is being divided up you know, in numerous ways. And that those are all the different interpre- t- interpretations that we have in our cultures right now. I, To me, that makes sense as, uh, and we're all way, and we're probably all way off about the actual true nature of it, whatever it is. Or the possibility is that there is nothing. And I have my reasons for being more atheist leaning, uh, but I but it, it's not I would say very a very strong leaning. It's just kind of a feeling I have which is a, a, what a lot of faith is based on just feeling right And or you know in the case of atheism athe, atheists will, will say there is no evidence of God or Gods or life after death, therefore it doesn't exist. But that I don't think is a rock solid argument if you think about the logic of that statement, that there is no evidence of a God or gods or a life after death or anything beyond what we see in front of us, I mean, in terms of our biology, that is true. However, can you prove something through a lack of evidence? I don't think that makes sense. Like I try to think of an analogy, you know, let's say you came upon a dead body. And there was, n- there was no evidence of how the person died. You wouldn't then say that person was not murdered. That person was not murdered at all. I know that person was not murdered. Or I know that person did not die of a heart attack. No, you couldn't say that because there's no evidence at all. There's just a dead body. And yeah, eventually if you did enough investigation, you'd come to a conclusion, right? But let's say you did that investigation and still it defied expectation I know this is a little bit of a stretch here but just stick with me I'm just thinking it's more of a, a thought experiment in a way in a real situation you would have to put something on the, the the death certificate let's say but technically you wouldn't know how the person died and so you then you couldn't say well the person was murdered or the person died of a heart attack or anything else so just from a pure logic perspective not because I feel oh, I really think, like in my heart of hearts, there's something. There's something in the universe. I think a lot of people want to believe that, and so that informs their their belief. It's it's comforting, right? It's it's something that we crave. We crave meaning. We crave we crave order. We crave to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it also, yeah, I mean, going back to the meaning idea, I mean, without that. I think a lot of people could, would, could, and probably would look at life as potentially meaningless. Although that's a whole separate conversation. Anyway, I think there's a certain amount of hubris around certainty around people and groups who's, who think and say, this is the truth. This is the answer. I know better than you about something that is I think, inherently unknowable, and that there is not evidence for really on either side, although again, I do have that leaning towards atheism because I do think the fact that there is no evidence of a God, a gods or life after death is more compelling, let's say, to me at this point in my life. Um, I mean, there's still so much about science about nature that we don't know, right there's there's uh, there are black holes, like I mentioned earlier, that are very still mysterious. We're learning more about them, but there, there's still a lot we don't know. There's the fact that all matter that's visible and familiar to us, planets such as Earth and everything on them, including us, stars like our sun, gas, and dust, all of which are made up of atoms, comprise only about 4 to 5% of the universe's density. The rest is made up of what's been labeled dark energy and dark matter, with dark energy comprising the large majority of it. Scientists have some ideas about what that energy and matter may be, but right now it's still a mystery. Uh, and then there's the idea of subatomic particles and quantum theory and what that is and how that works and string theory and the fact that the string theory is in, uh, another mind blowing area of science. Um, that speaks to the idea that there are 11 dimensions of reality, 10 of which are physical, the 11th is time, and that the uh, dimensions essentially, I guess, 4 through 10 are subatomic and even smaller than subatomic because I think they're thought to be subquantum, which are the smallest particles we have evidence of right now. And those extra dimensions are folded in on themselves, sort of nested within reality and yeah, it sounds like science fiction, but these these are actual real theories that theoretical physicists and other scientists are studying and researching and and have advanced to the point where there this is something that's discussed as a possibility because we don't know the underlying we're still looking for the underlying baseline foundational elements of nature and how that how nature manifests. Not to mention that we still don't know what consciousness is or why or how it arises. So there is plenty that science cannot explain at this point. So maybe one day science will be able to explain if there is something larger than us, if we, if there is something after death. But right now, obviously, that that has not happened. And I'm a huge proponent of science. And to me, it's, it's one of mankind's greatest achievements. And I love reading about it. I love learning about it. Oh, and there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. I almost think it's irrelevant what our beliefs are, right? About the afterlife or lack thereof, right? Because whatever the answer is, to me, would be an objective reality. So in other words, if I'm atheist and I'm wrong, then after I die, I get to experience the afterlife, right? I would assume if it's an objective reality. And the opposite would be true too, if I am a huge, you know, believer in X, Y, or Z regarding God, afterlife, gods, etc. And there's nothing that I'd be wrong, but at least I won't experience the shame of being wrong because I won't exist anymore. Poof, gone. Just like what happens when I get my hands on those chicken and guac fajitas I love at this Mexican spot near my apartment. And that's a conversation we had last week as well. Not about the chicken and guac fajitas, but what is nothing? And how do you, you you can't experience nothing. You can't even perceive nothing because we, it's the antithesis of what we are and how we exist. That's a whole different, a whole separate conversation. I also find equally fascinating. And then, you know, people who also believe in something will say, well, how can something come from nothing? And yeah, we can't imagine that but just because we can't imagine it or understand it necessarily doesn't mean it's not true first of all second of all the opposite of that idea or the other perspective is that there always was something and that something comes from something okay that makes sense like we all can trace you know all the, our lineage back for example that i came from my parents my parents came from their parents and so on and so on and we all see in nature every day in reality how one thing comes from something else. But eventually, if you get back to the origin, if you keep going backwards in time, people who argue against there being nothing will say, well, there is always something. But what does that mean? That's to me, that's equally bizarre. To wrap your mind around the idea of eternity, what does that mean? For there always to have been something. Well, where did that something come from? Well it didn't come from anywhere. It just always was. But well, what does that mean? Right. So yeah, I think that's this is these are all philosophical hamster wheels in a way because there's really no answer. But man, I love talking about it. I love thinking about it, I love talking about it. And real quick, here's another post-life concept that I chew on from time to time. Life is subjective, right? The way we experience life is subjective based on our biology, based on our experiences in life. Well, what if, if, if there is an afterlife, what if that is subjective as well? I mean, I think a lot of times we think of an afterlife, if there is one, as being the subjective reality, whatever that is, but what if it's subjective? And what if it's based on how you think about it and how you how strongly you connect with that idea and that's what you actually experience after you die. So that if you believe in heaven and hell and you were good, you go to heaven. If you were bad, you go to hell. If you believe in reincarnation, you come back as a dolphin or a, a you know bacteria, or whatever you want to come back as. Or if you are an atheist, you just, you know, die and think yourself out of existence. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's, that's kind of an out there idea, but I think it's fun. I think it's interesting to think about. So what about you? Do you also enjoy on some level, you know, thinking and talking about this stuff? Does it resonate with you? Do you agree with me? Disagree? Do you think I'm crazy? Do you think I'm on point? Um, let me know. I would love to hear from you because I think th- these are conversations that are, even though there's no d- clear answer, I think sometimes those are the best conversations to have because life isn't neat, life isn't wrapped up in a little bow. Uh, uh, every day, no matter how much we try to do that. And we tell stories and stories are great. I love stories, but stories are packages, right? They're narratives and they try to make order out of chaos. I'm not saying life is inherently chaotic because I don't necessarily know. It kind of goes back to my idea of, you know, whether there's something or nothing, is there order, is it chaos? Uh, but I think I think at a minimum, we could say that life is kind of wild and that it, it defies easy explanation and easy answers. So having conversations like this, while kind of can be frustrating sometimes, I think they can also be very illuminating and very beneficial to have. And they're just a hell of a lot of fun to me. So yeah, let me know what you think about any of this stuff, the stuff I talked about earlier about vaccines and public health measures and how they contribute to unintended consequence of making death less familiar to us, or about the afterlife or lack thereof. Now I want to take some time to share my daily mortality mantras with you. I developed the first one a few years ago. It goes like this: I will die, and I could become severely ill and/or disabled. One or more of these state changes could happen or start happening right now, decades from now, or at any moment in between. So I will make the most of whatever time I have left while I'm still healthy and breathing. The second one is a saying in Italian from my grandmother, who died in 2019 at the age of 102. She would say it to me and other members of my family whenever we needed to hear it most. And it's something I repeated back to her over and over again, just a few hours before she died, as potential travel advice, just in case she was going somewhere. It goes like this. Ordina. Al tuo destino di essere bello e tale sarà. It means command your destiny to be beautiful and it will be. I say both of them to myself every day, usually after the roughly 30 to 60 second ice cold shower I take each morning, shortly after getting out of bed to help wake my groggy ass up and start the day off right. I hope these matches help you as much as they help me. All right, that's a wrap for now. Join me in exploring mortality and everything that follows from it by subscribing to Mortality Minded wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find episodes and other content on mortalityminded.com. If social media is your thing, I'm at mortalityminded on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or if you want to kick it old school, email me through connect at mortalityminded.com. Let me know what you think of this episode and others by rating and or commenting on them. Your feedback is much appreciated and goes a long way in helping make the show better for everyone involved, you, the guests, and me alike. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay mortality-minded.